You know, I'm gonna give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> start laughing! And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty ass jokes on my ass, too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy Podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you The Simpsons and a very special guest returning to Why Are You Laughing for the third time. This is a big, we should have a, a blazer for you or something. This is very exciting. You would go back and listen to uh, the Mitch Hedberg episode, and he was on Patreon talking about his boyfriend, Tucker Max. <laughs> it's my pal from WATS. And some other show that he does. Carl, what's going on, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Craig? What's going on, Mike? Good to see you guys. And uh, I don't expect to have anything special until my fifth episode. That's when I feel <laughs> like I joined the club. It's it's an illustrious group. You and Vinny Paulino are leading the charge of <laughs> repeating guests. Um, so I asked Carl on, obviously, because he's a big Simpsons fan. And I was saying, uh, me and Craig were talking about this right before we started, that uh, I feel like my generation, like I was born in 91 and I feel like people who are around my age know of the Simpsons and I'm like very aware of how funny it is. And every time I hear uh, quotes from it or people explain certain scenes or episodes, I find it very funny, but it's just that by the time I was old enough to be watching the Simpsons and actually understand it, they were already at a point where people saying they were over the hill and that was 20 years ago, which is fucking nuts. Right. Yeah. A lot of people like to cite season nine, season 10, season 11 as the time when the Simpsons got bad. And, and actually this Simpsons wasn't good until I, I would say like halfway through season three right. is when it really started finding its voice because when it first started, it was kind of more like a, a kid's cartoon and it wasn't very funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was shifted. Like, I mean, and the writers all talk about how it was, uh, geared more towards Bart in the beginning, and then they realized that Homer was probably a better character to carry the show and easier to write for because the writers could relate to a father more than you know, a 10 year old kid or whatever. It's also uh, funny how Homer's voice changes between, oh, I think, two yeah. and three. Oh, it's, it's the same, yeah, it's the same voice actor. Yeah. Um, but what he said was, he goes, the way I was doing Homer's voice was actually very straining on my voice. And I realized that this was going to get picked up and go on for a long time. I'm like, I got to make this easier on myself. Well, it's good though. Cause I feel like comedically they made the right show. Like Homer's oh, voice now yeah. is much funnier than the, uh, I think he said he was like doing a Walter Matthau impression originally. So. Yeah. Right. I was yeah. looking. Oh no. Go ahead. So we go will, on. we will, we will, we will go through all of that in, uh, in, in order. Well, we'll jump around as far as the timeline, but first I do want to remind everyone uh, first and foremost, Go to uh, whoarethese.com for Carl. Is that Do I have that right? That's correct. Uh, go to whoarethese.com. That's where you can find all your links for WATP, including his Patreon that you guys should check out and subscribe to. And, I mean, maybe click the links for WATS as well. Thursdays at 6. Check that out. Uh, and you can also find those at blindmike.net if you want to check out um, this show, WATS, Blind Mike Project, uh, or more importantly, our Patreon where we do bonus episodes. Um, we uh, we just we just put up or are putting up. I forget when this comes out. Uh, a prank calls bonus episode. After we did the uh, Jerky Boys episode, I wanted to talk about prank calls from people uh, outside of the Jerky Boys. And uh, your boy Carl hit me up with a correction. Christian Blatt 
emailed me and told me I was very wrong when I said that uh, the Simpsons were influenced by um, the Jerky Boys. And uh, it was actually a group called uh, Bum Bar Bastards that uh, Bart the Bart prank calls to Moe's Tavern. Uh, oh, okay. That was influenced by Bum Bar Bastards. So, Christian Blad, I apologize to you and the listeners out there. I will always make corrections, so feel free to send them to me. Unlike my show, where our policy is... Yeah, I mean, that's what we do here. We don't check the facts before, and then we correct them after. All right. (laughs) We made enough noise on Twitter that we have to say something. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, All right. So, I mean, Simpsons, there's fucking 35 years of history to go through. So I know I'm not going to touch anywhere close to all of it. I'm going to try my best. So uh, let's just start with uh, whatever clips we have here. Where are we starting, Craig? The creation. Um, All right, let's hear it. You just start with, there's this thing that happens where now a a show like The Simpsons seems inevitable. You know, it's just become this cultural touchstone and people say, well, of course. And what I'm trying to do is go back to a time when it was highly improbable Mm -hmm. and probably even considered a bad idea. The last successful animated show had been The Flintstones. And uh, I guess I'll I'll start with you guys who were there at the very beginning. Uh, Suddenly... The idea comes along on Fox to do an animated primetime show. And I don't think people thought it was a good idea. Is that right? What happened was one of the directors, David Silverman, who's brilliant, uh, was at a party and he had a little too much to drink. And he said to Jim Brooks, I think it should be a series. And he was so emphatic and so uh, enthusiastic about doing another primetime series. You know, there's never been one, like you said, for years. That Jim said, well, if somebody loves this so much, why don't we give it a shot? And, um, you know, then Jim and Matt and Sam Simon hired writers. And uh, it in, was never inevitable. In addition to that, I will just say that at the Tracy Ullman show, we used to... Uh, show The Simpsons back-to-back, the little shorts back-to-back to to the audience. And they laughed significantly more than they actually laughed (laughs) at the Tracy Ullman show. I mean, it was clear clear that this had potential. This was something I think you didn't need a drunk David Silverman to say, oh, my God, I think we... we, uh, No, no, it was only drunk David. (laughs) (laughs) So it's actually, I think, a pretty interesting point that Conan makes is that now... It seems like a brilliant idea to just make essentially a sitcom, a family sitcom, but animated because now we know that like cartoons get away with so much more. Like the stuff that mm-hmm. South Park gets away with, for whatever reason, if that was live action, it would never be on television. But if cartoons say it, it's fun and silly for whatever reason. So now it seems like an obvious idea. We'll just make it a cartoon. But at the time, no one had ever really done that before. I think even the Flintstones, while like, I don't know if it's direct. Uh, uh, existence was supposed to appeal to adults more than children, whereas The Simpsons literally was for adults. Yeah, and I want to uh, point out, so you saw in that clip, even though he didn't talk in it, uh, this guy Mike Reese, who was a a writer and a showrunner, I think he might still be Mm -hmm. on the show, and um, just like the Tucker Max episode, I have brought a book with me. I've (laughs) I've read this book, Springfield Confidential, written by uh, Mike Reese, or Rice, however you pronounce it, and I highly recommend it. It really gets into the behind the scenes, how the show gets created, the writers, the episodes. Um, if you're a fan of The Simpsons, this is a great read. The only issue is, and you'll probably get into this, he went on to develop The Critic, the John Lovitz yes. cartoon. 
And so yeah. he left the Simpsons for a few years to do that. And he writes about the critic a little bit too much in this book for my liking. It stinks. <laughs> well, we will uh, talk a lot about the critic because that in part is kind of what started breaking up the Simpsons. Show, like there yeah. are two particular episodes that we'll talk about that people say kind of led to the demise of the Simpsons. I also think Carl, the real reason he likes coming on this show is because in this group, he appears studious. He's I know, right? Oh, I'm doing is reading comedy. I'm just reading comedy books. And I'm like, yeah, look at all the research. You I have did. two books. <laughs> I feel like if you remove that book sleeve though, it might still be a Tucker Max book. You just can't escape them. <laughs> well guys, let me, let me know what, when you're doing the, why are you laughing about Ann Coulter? I'll be happy to come on that one. Yes. A barrel laugh. She is. <laughs> Uh, um yeah so uh this was a pretty interesting thing because like conan, i mean for anyone that doesn't know conan was obviously a, a writer in the early days not an original writer but in the very early days of uh the simpsons as well here's and, a fun uh, fact yeah um conan was a very young guy when he joined the the writing crew there and mm-hmm. they have this thing once or twice a year where they bring in all the executive producers and the writers all pitch ideas and so they, they go through and they present what they think the episode should be in the plot and all that kind of stuff. Conan's the only guy to get two of his ideas approved for one season. Oh, really? Out of, out of all the brilliant writers around that show, the monorail episode, yeah. and I forget the other one. Uh, yeah, but he, Conan, he, Conan understood this show very well. He And that makes so much sense as a guy who just watched his late night show. He feels like he would have been a Simpsons writer. Yeah. And he's, like you said, he was definitely integral in those days. He wasn't a guy that just happened to be there and later get famous. Like he was a big part of those, uh, those early seasons. I was just and, thinking how, how much more fun the Simpsons would be if the masturbating bear character had done a crossover. <laughs> you guys remember the masturbating bear on the Conan show? Yes, yeah. and he couldn't do that on TBS. Exactly. It was very sad when he lost that. <laughs> yeah, it was upsetting. But uh, one of my, I think one of my favorite stories I've heard Conan tell about the Simpsons is that, that monorail episode. Uh, I think it's titled Marge versus the monorail or something like that. Yeah. Um, he wanted to get George Takei to do the voice. I think they ended up getting uh, Leonard Nimoy. But mm-hmm. uh, they originally asked George Takei, and uh, he refused to do it. And apparently said... I take monorails very seriously. He's the only guy that Ooh, refused to do it because of his love of monorails, apparently. He wouldn't make sport of <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's wild. He's the, he's the strangest guy on the planet. He really Easily. is. He is a weirdo. Easily. Right. What, uh, what's our next clip, Craig? Uh, the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah, so that's, I mean, you heard them uh, allude to it there, but that is where this started is uh, on the Tracy Ullman show as uh, part of these interludes that they were doing. So they're going to talk a little more about that. And I think it's the same thing that we used to talk about with the Simpsons is that the the voices uh, were impeccably cast from the beginning. The design, I mean, really. All of them were in the shorts. Uh, The main ones, Dan, uh, it was Dan and Julie, Dan Kesson and Julie Kavner were on the Tracy Ullman show. And as I understand it, uh, Tracy Ullman was too busy to do any of the parts. So she, uh, she hated it as well. She hated it. Oh, she hated really? it. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. she, hated, she hated the cartoons? Oh, yes. She wanted it off the show. Right. And and, uh, and then later on she sued for money because she said, I, I, I breastfed these babies and these were from my from my show. Like, no, she had nothing to do with it and I f- actively tried to get it, get it off the show. So... <laughs> 
What's weird about re-listening to that clip now is uh, I found after I didn't I didn't uh, include the clip because it wasn't particularly interesting, but I found Tracy Ullman talking about the early days of The Simpsons, and she claims she was Marge originally. She says she did the voice, and literally right there they're saying she wanted nothing to do with it, and she was not Marge. So I don't know what to believe now. She probably did a voice that they copied or something on yeah, Well, set. she was able to, she did the impression and it sounded close enough that I was like, oh, okay, maybe she did do the first version of it or something. But um, yeah, she apparently wanted no part of it really, didn't didn't get what, what was appealing about it. And really all these interludes were, were like in and out of uh, commercial breaks, basically. Yeah, it was, a, it was a sketch comedy show that I bet didn't age well. If I were to guess the Tracy oh, Ullman show, if we, were to, yeah. <laughs> if we were to watch that now, I, I doubt it would be very good. I remember my folks liked it, so they used to watch it. But yeah, those little Simpsons shorts that they would have on that show were were not funny. Uh, they were not well animated. And to think about what the Simpsons became based on those little things, it's, it's not even the same show in any single way. Yeah, I wanted to, because I thought it was interesting, I found a bunch of the, or I might be all of them on YouTube, the interludes that they used, and I wanted to include one. We might have one later just by accident. It happens to be in one of the clips. But like like you said, they weren't particularly, none, none stood out to me. It's like, oh, we should really play this. It's hilarious. The people right. need to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think we have one more clip from this uh, Conan discussion. Yep, them talking about it becoming an instant hit. Okay. It was like six weeks in, it was the cover of Newsweek. Right. That was amazing. The other thing is, they teach, I've read a bunch of Simpsons books and theses about the show, and they'll yeah. always say the show was slow to build and had a small following, mm-hmm. and the show debuted to the highest ratings in the history of the Fox Network. That was the Christmas right. episode. Yeah, it came on, it was an instant, I mean, right. nothing could be a more instant hit. Yeah, so they did, uh, they had kind of a weird schedule because they premiered with like a Christmas special. Uh, I saw like Matt Matt Groening was on Letterman promoting it. It was like this hour-long Christmas special was their first episode, and then the rest of the episodes aired like in the new year, I guess, which is a very weird way to do it. But evidently, like you heard there, was off to a very fast start, which is impressive because like Fox was a network that was dying at the time. Like they had virtually nothing and it was right. the Simpsons and married with children that you could argue are kind of similar shows. So it's yeah. weird that those both worked, right. but that's what really put them on the map. If you're curious what Al Bundy's like in cartoon form, that's the show for you. More or less. It's Homer Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit more um, anti-woman uh, stuff going on on married with children. Yeah, right. I don't think the Simpsons is, is all in on the no man movement. Yeah. But uh, yeah, other than that, I can see the similarities. And the thing about the Simpsons taking off so quickly, and I kind of remember this, I was a big Simpsons fan even back then, is um, they were promoting this show for years on the Tracy Alba show. So everyone already knew who they were. They already had merchandise out. Like people right. were already fans of this family. Oh, that's interesting. I yeah, didn't realize so, that in my mind, it was always something that never got any attention. And then someone was like, let's make a show out of it. No, I, I think that was probably one of the most popular parts of the Tracy Alman show. I get they, they did mention that. I guess I didn't really realize how popular the Tracy Alman show was. I just assumed no one was watching it. So no one ever right. noticed these things. This well, cutting- you know what's, It's interesting about that though, Mike, and, and not to get bogged down in this, but yeah, nobody was watching Fox. It had very low ratings. Yeah. But if you think about it, they probably had more people watching Fox back then. Cause there were, there was only four networks. True. Then our people are watching primetime CBS now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, bad, bad ratings is like 8 million people watching at that time. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. 
But yeah, to put it in perspective, I didn't. I've never heard of the Tracy Ullman show until cutting these clips. Oh I, wow! I, I had no idea. <laughs> there you go. If, if it got by Craig, then. <laughs> and I, I was born uh, in the '80s, you know. <laughs> well, well, like we we kind of started talking about in those early days, like Bart was the star of the show to the point where literally uh, the Bart man was like a, a song that got radio play. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and when you go back and watch, you almost get like douche chills. I imagine as, as like a Simpsons fan, you would think like, oh, this isn't even the same show. It's like when I watch, uh, you know, the first season of Seinfeld and George is essentially Woody Allen. It's like, well, what is this? Isn't the show that I? What the fuck is this? Right. Kramer's got his hair matted down. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was definitely a show for children, and they yeah. based the. To think about how brilliant The Simpsons became. It started out as catchphrases. It was right. just don't have a cow and eat my shorts. Like that was all they had. Bart's <laughs> gonna say some crazy shit, and yeah, yeah that's gonna be the show. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, there was, I remember that a lot too. Cause like I said, I wasn't like a Simpsons fan, but I remember I had, uh, and I, I'm saying that I wasn't anti Simpsons. I just never got into it. Uh, but I had like a Bart doll, I think at some point or a Homer t-shirt. I remember having Simpsons merch, even though I really didn't watch the show that much. It's all your uncles going, oh, this would be funny on them. Yeah. This is what a kid would want, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I did the same thing. Like I, we were like, we were talking before. Obviously, like this show spawned South Park and Family Guy and all that. So I was that was more of my wheelhouse when I became yeah, of age. But I will I will say what's different about that because you always hear the comparisons, and I, I mean there's obvious similarities to Family Guy. Oh yeah. In the crossover episode they do with Family Guy, they point out how many of the characters in Family Guy are essentially twists on Simpsons characters. Right. Um. So there definitely are similarities, but. What they talk about um, with the Simpsons is that like cartoons before that were a lot of like gags. There wasn't necessarily a storyline to them. Right. And what um, I think James L. Brooks is the one who really wanted this more than uh, Sam Simon or Matt Groening um, was that the show had heart. Like you would follow it as you would a sitcom. You know, maybe sometimes you'd learn a lesson or there'd be a, a touching moment. And I think yeah, that's those- a pretty interesting thing at that time for a cartoon to be doing because it seems so, uh, you know, offbeat from every other cartoon. Every episode that focused on Lisa, that the plot was built around yes. Lisa, yeah, yeah, were yeah. my least favorite episodes because mm-hmm. those are always the ones where everyone learns a lesson and there's heart and it's like, all right, let's get back to gags. And I just want to point out because everyone had Simpsons t-shirts and stuff. I had a ton of them. Yep. But this is how deep I go, guys. I get to the point where I'm not wearing any Simpsons shirt unless it's like an ancillary character. So I had like my sideshow Bob t-shirt. Like I'm not wearing Homer. You hear that ladies? That's too easy. (laughs) Don't slide off the face. I had a a girl tell me I was in my twenties at this point. I had a girl tell me that I wasn't her type. She doesn't date guys who wear cartoons on their (laughs) t-shirts. Hey, I'm not some loser that wears a Homer shirt. I've got the bumblebee. (laughs) I I know. (laughs) I I had a, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched Run and Stimpy, but I had a a log uh, t-shirt. Which is just oh, like a random fake commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know if you see this, ladies, but this is me. this is groundskeeper Willie. I'm open for business. <laughs> uh, all right, what's what's next? Uh, talking about Fox. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it was still a new network at that time, so um, this was definitely big for them. I came, I came to 20th Century Fox to do movies, and then they started a network, and they asked me to 
do a show as part of their starting what became the Fox Network. And this was a time when, when 20th Century Fox was in shaky financial trouble, when the, the network took a while. As I, I think they were sort of on the verge of going under several times. And in that environment, somebody made me aware of Tracy Ullman, and we did a sort of loose, crazy, nobody was watching it, um, with this wildly talented woman on television. And we thought that, you know, these bumpers you have before you go to commercial, that we'd make them little entertainment pieces. And we do these 30 second animated pieces. And uh, I knew of Matt Groening's Life in Hell. And I asked him to come in and do one, not to, and you know, and it was just for the network nobody ever heard of for this <laughs> thing that very few people would watch. And, um, and he came in and sat in the building we're in now, and in the outer office, as a bolt from God, sort of drew what became of The Simpsons. Wow. I th- uh, James L., that's James L. Brooks. And he also uh, later said that Matt Groening, when he came up with the characters for The Simpsons, when they wanted to come up with these... Um, uh, you know, these bits on the Tracy Ullman show that, that life in hell that he just mentioned, um, Matt Gray, it was a Matt Graining creation that he wanted to protect. So he's like, all right, I'll just turn in whatever bullshit I come up with. And that was the Simpsons. <laughs> so the thing he wanted to protect, no one knows what life in hell is really, but the Simpsons has been an institution for 30 years now. Also, good on Matt Graney because, so he created these characters, but he didn't really create what the show became, obviously. He hired people to do that, and then the writers and all that kind of stuff. It'd be like if somebody took core of these podcasts and made it a good show. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be amazing. I would love for that to happen. That's <laughs> what, I mean, that's what I think of WATS. Is. We've really morphed it into a, a yes, great... that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the three creators, James L. Brooks, Sam Simon, Matt Graining, are all... Uh, attributed with bringing like very different things to the show. Matt Groening obviously uh, created the characters and I guess was big on pushing for the satire and the sarcasm that basically, you know, the adult humor that was in the Simpsons came from Matt Groening. Like I mentioned, um, the, uh, uh, the heart was really from James L. Brooks, I guess, which by the way, it is kind of funny. You mentioned the thing about Lisa and I think it was kind of true of Marge as well where if the A story focused on them, it was going to be like a heartfelt episode. It's a weird way of kind of like being sexist in a way. <laughs> and it's something that uh, Always Sunny actually corrected, where in season one, uh, D's character is always like, guys, come on, should we really do this? And then she kind of complained about it, and they were like, all right, you're one of the guys now, <laughs> and just changed her character to be like everyone else, which I think was a good Smart move. move. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sure. And uh, Sam Simon is kind of the one that wanted to drive um, a lot of the characters thought that like, you know, the stories are in these characters and kind of creating, you know, people that you feel like, you know, or can relate to in some way. So it is, it's pretty rare. And I, I don't think they all ended up necessarily getting along, which we'll get to, but it is pretty rare that three guys seem to contribute to a show fairly equally by all accounts. Yeah. And by the way, I just want to point out, I just realized something as you're talking. Mm-hmm. So I, I always hated uh, the least episodes. I even, I wrote a lyric and a song that I wrote a long time ago about that too. And I just realized I don't even like Yardley Smith, the woman who voices Lisa because of the Lisa character. Like I, I actively dislike her. And I think that's why <laughs> it's weird. Um, I'm, we might have one that we'll play later, but like I was looking through clips of uh, interviews with her 
And she sounds so much like Lisa Simpson that I'm like, that's yeah. gotta be a weird way to go through life. She doesn't change her <laughs> voice at all. She was on a TV show called Herman's Head where I don't know if she was one of the characters in his head or so this, you have this guy navigating like his office job. You guys I ever think heard, I've of heard of this? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you like cut to these clips of like what's going on as inner monologue and these people debating this stuff or whatever. And she was on that show and it was so off putting because it's just Lisa Simpson's voice. On you know live action, just weird. That that's the ultimate. Like you know, you hear character actors talk about all the time about how you couldn't get cast in anything else. But that's literally we only know your voice, and it's going to be very distracting <laughs> if Lisa Simpson is in a television show. Yeah, no, for real, she's the Mark Hamill of uh, cartoons. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right, what's next? Uh, them talking about uh, the sitcom style. Uh, yeah, well, like I said, I find that pretty interesting. Obviously, a lot of influence, I think, uh, a comparison that it gets a lot is like all in the family, which I think applies a little bit, but not entirely. Um, but let's hear it. You were the kind of the first of this idea, this concept of taking the sitcom style of writing a, a show with a, you know, a writer's room with animation. I remember the, very well Matt coming the first day. We were all happy to meet him. We loved Life in Hell, and he was a great guy, and he went through these sketches for the first episode, Goodnight Simpson. The first show I directed was, in fact, uh, Bart the Genius. This is a big day for you. Why don't you eat something a little more nutritious? Nonsense, Marge. Frosty Krusty Flakes are what got him where he is today. It could be one of these chemicals here that makes him so smart. I I included that only because I wanted you guys to hear what early Homer was like. <laughs> sounds yeah. like he's choking on his tongue. <laughs> it sounds like something that wasn't supposed that, That's the weird thing about that voice. And maybe we think that just because we know how it all played out. But that version of Homer sounds like something that never should have made television. It's right. like a bad rough draft or something, which is <laughs> essentially what it was. I, I agree. And I would tell him to be more funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have to, I have to use these drops on my board it's contractually <laughs> obligated i apologize now that's a hilarious voice <laughs> yeah it is it is very funny boring <laughs> another thing uh, i didn't think to credit them in my show prep or anything but like every radio show for the last 30 years essentially has used homer simpson drops oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there's no other show i think they have to be the most dropped show in radio history i think I would agree with that. Uh, South Park's probably up there, but yeah. South Park's close for sure, but I think I, I hear Homer on no matter what, sports shows, uh, mm. comedy shows, everything, you hear Homer. The boo from ONA. and a <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's just what I'm thinking. That one. That one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. When I started pulling together drops for um, Who Are These Podcasts, before we even did our first episode, yeah. I was so heavily influenced by ONA. I, oh. I went and grabbed like everything. I had car crashes and Homer saying boring and boo. Yeah. I yeah. like Carl like on his notepad, like blabbermouth cunt. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You stupid fucking blabbermouth cunt. <laughs> That one's all producer Chris. When we did, we did our live show in Chicago, this isn't about me, but it's about me. We did a live show in Chicago <laughs> and uh, we're prepping at the Airbnb and, and Chris goes, what can I do to help Carl? And I go, you know, this woman on this podcast, I can't stand her. Can you find someone calling someone a cunt for a drop? <laughs> no and problem. You remember this from the Sopranos, uh, <laughs> uncle junior. So, uh, it's like, perfect. It's the best <laughs> it's there is. On the board ever since. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track here, Craig. Uh, we got uh, Sam Simon 
Yeah, so I think Sam Simon's a very interesting character, and maybe I could, uh, it was hard to find a lot on him because he retired so young. Um, I was going to say, you know, maybe I'll do an episode on him someday. I just don't know if there's uh, enough out there. But he's a very interesting character, um, and he left The Simpsons pretty early on. And uh, I had always heard of him referred to as a very bitter guy. Uh, when I listened to interviews of him, I didn't necessarily get that sense, but we'll, we'll listen and judge, I guess. Well, did you guys catch him on uh, Howard Stern when you were doing the research for this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, cause he was a regular on there. So I was, I'm surprised to say you don't know a lot about him. I'm like, I, I don't say I'm the best out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, I guess as far as um, uh, stuff related to the Simpsons, cause I wanted to find more on why they actually broke up and why he left. Cause I would read things like he felt he didn't get enough credit, but then Every interview I heard, he says, I have no issue with uh, James L. Brooks and Matt Groening. I couldn't find them talking shit about him. So maybe I just, wow. maybe we'll do a part two if you guys can find that for me. It's, it's amazing how um, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars will make you uh, look back fondly on. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's hear, uh, let's hear from Sam. Goal was to do 13 great shows. And I used to say, we're 13 and out. We might as well make them great. Mm-hmm. And I know that that really upset Matt. He didn't express this to me at the time. If he had said, you know, hey, you know, this is really important to me. And when you say that, it makes me think like the show's going to be a failure. And I don't think it's, I would say, oh, okay. Well, I won't say, I can, I can understand. But you were saying that because you'd been in show business and you knew that. You the- know, most things fail. Right. And, you know, and so like, Let's just try and make it as good as we can. Yeah. You know, they would, they would say, oh, you know, this language is going to be children watching. And I'd say, I don't, I don't know about that. We're, we're doing our show. That's your problem. We're on right next to married with children. So I don't see yeah, why be too squeamish. I can't say, you know, son of a bitch or yeah. something like that on right. the show. Uh, but, um, but I, when, when I was saying it, I meant, Let's be free and let's be creative. Let's make it great. Yeah. I mean, that. I feel like The Simpsons kind of lived up to that. So it's good to have someone there. Like, I think it was a good, ba- it seems like a good balance between the creators because if James L. Brooks was focused on making it sort of a heartfelt family bonding moment, I feel like you needed guys that thought like Sam Simon that said, yeah, but we can get a little raunchy too if we want to, you know? Well, it, that also triggered me uh, something that I was reading up on in this book by Mike Reese, because, you know, they get asked a lot, um, you know, is the Simpsons as good as it used to be? And obviously everyone knows the answer to that. Sure. And and so what he said was, he goes, you know, we've been doing this a long time and certain sitcoms will go different directions. They'll either get boring or they'll get weird. And we chose purposely to get weird. I never want to be boring. <laughs> so it's like, it's like the Simpsons has gotten weird, but it's like, they're aware of that. And actually we try it's like, there's a, we've done over 2000 storylines because of the subplots yeah. and things in these episodes. So we're now working on our 2112th best idea. <laughs> yeah, so right. yeah, it's, it's not going to be as good yeah. as it used to be, but we can make it weird for the sake of being weird. I remember uh, Kevin Nealon going on Conan to promote the last season of Weeds, which yeah. Weeds is a show that, I mean, unanimously, anyone that watched it says it got bad after a you know, couple seasons. And uh, Kevin Conan was asking him about the finale, and uh, Kevin Nealon goes, well, you know, they say you always want to go out on top, and I think we only missed that by about five years. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. Yeah, so um, they don't have the benefit of South Park, which basically talks about current events. So they're just never ending possibilities for them. Yeah, well, that's the intro. That's I think that's what makes South Park so much more equipped to continue on for as long as it has. Right. Because the Simpsons are being written um, like ten months in advance. So uh, I was listening to a lot of um, you know a lot of there's a lot of points where like the Simpsons are predicting the future basically. You know, they'll have a joke about like Trump being president or, you know, something that relates to 9-11 before it happened or th- things like that. And they obviously this doesn't apply to 9-11, but they said uh, <laughs> in general, like with elections and stuff like that, they were tr- essentially trying to go for the funniest thing that could happen in 10 months. Yes. Like they wanted it to be relevant 10 months later. So they were kind of just guessing at things. And when you do... 3,000 episodes, some of them are going to turn out to be right, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't think their batting average is high. But, but right, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 but then when you look at they had Trump winning, I, I think it was an election, and going down the elevator in an episode, you're like, that's kind of weird. Sure, it is, but <laughs> then go and think back, like, Trump would be a hilarious guy in, like, a Back to the Future type setting to be like, President Donald Trump? Right. Like, that is kind of a go-to right. reference. Right. Well, also, people forget this. Donald Trump would threaten to run for president almost every right. election. Every year. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. going back to like the late 80s, he, yeah. he started talking about that. Yeah, it was so. him and Roseanne Barr. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we have uh, one more Seth Simon, right? Uh, Sam. Uh, Sam Simon. Jesus Christ. Did I do that? I think I've done that already. <laughs> Sam <laughs> Simon. I don't want to hear from Seth Simon. Oh, God. I hope not. Um, this is him talking about leaving. Okay. How many seasons were you there? Four. And what happened there? Four. What? What? How's the? How was the breakup? What? What? Why did you leave? Uh, I left because I wanted to do my own stuff. I didn't especially like it there. I was being asked to do things that I wasn't good at, which means uh, I was supposed. They they hired a bunch of other writers to do three uh, on air shows at ABC. Yeah. And I I just uh, they were uh, I I just. You know, I wasn't full time on the I wasn't going to be full time on the Simpsons. Yeah. And I wanted to do my own stuff. And I had a great. You know, technically, I was never fired from the Simpsons. I still earn uh, a salary and and I kept all my points in the show. Yeah. And um, so to me, it's uh, uh, was really a. I mean, it's not remotely a regret. Yeah, but there's no there's no bad blood anymore. I don't think so. I see Jim once in a while. Yeah, I don't see Matt very often, but we just don't travel in the same. Right, circles. right, right. Sounded like he's not saying what he wants to say or no. what he would say. Right, because the rumors were that uh, he was mad that he didn't get enough credit. And that uh, uh, Matt and James L. Brooks didn't like certain things that uh, like he would critique the show for. So it seems like at the time they didn't really like each other. But like you said, Carl, when you're making crazy amounts of money and you don't see someone for 15, 20 years, that starts to dissipate a little bit. And I, I don't know how long this number lasted like I don't, I don't know how his contract worked or anything like that you hear him there in about 2011 saying that uh he was still getting a paycheck from the simpsons at a point after he left the show he was getting 10 million dollars a year for doing nothing yeah 
It was interesting that he said, I wasn't fired. No one said you. Yeah, no, one brought, no one brought it up. They never <laughs> yeah, bring well, it up or he's just like, hey, like, I wasn't fired. <laughs> yeah, his name is on the front of every single episode. Like his name is still yeah. there. I mean, I assume that he's still getting royalties and he has points. And like, that's weird that he said it that way. Well, I wonder what that now, means. But- <laughs> yeah. I wasn't right, forced no. out against my will. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But it is interesting because he essentially retired at the age of 35. So Sam Simon's a guy that uh, he was a showrunner for Taxi when he was, I think, like 23. Um, I think he worked on Cheers a little bit. So he was in the business very young, made all this Simpsons money and essentially retired at 35. Like he would have his, you know, hand in certain things over the, the rest of his life. But like, I just, I know he did a lot of like charity work. I think he gave all his money away when he died. He didn't have kids or anything. Uh, yeah. He, lo- he loved animals. I know that yes. uh, a lot yeah. of what he did was um, to, he was a philanthropist who uh, really devoted himself to helping animals and endangered species and stuff like that. Yeah. Very interesting guy. And I know he got into it with uh, David Tell on Stern one. So maybe we'll revisit uh, Sam Simon someday, but for now we move along. Uh, this is about them beating Cosby. Yeah, so this was a this was a big deal at the time. I guess they were uh, up against the cause, and it's uh, sort of a, a juxtaposition. I don't know if I'm using that term right. I've never I never have before, but <laughs> I think it's a juxtaposition uh, between you know oddly the classic family man being serial rapist Bill Cosby. And the Simpsons, who were considered like you know the the the, the dirty, the uh, you know the wrong side of the tracks family. The animated show's season premiere beat out the Cosby Show by a small margin. The Simpsons had a gigantic publicity push behind it, which may account for the lead, says John Mandel of Gray Advertising. I don't think there was a child alive that didn't know Simpsons was on, and probably defected from Cosby and droves. I passed. <laughs> So I think that's the most impressive thing about the Simpsons is that they can literally appeal to anyone in that they have the Simpsons have some like very highbrow humor, almost snobby humor. Yeah. And they also have just the most childish, silly nonsense. Well, it's pointed out in this book, he he goes through, he talks about the writers and they have writers who are scientists and most of their writers have like PhDs and advanced degrees. Yeah. So the people who write for the Simpsons are extremely intelligent people, but I, mean, right, even like Conan went to Harvard. I think a lot of those guys oh, are like right. Harvard grads and yeah, exactly. Um, so, you, you know, and I think that's the, the most impressive thing. I don't know how many other shows are like that, where you could literally, literally meet uh, a blithering idiot and a professor, and they would both like the Simpsons for different reasons. <laughs> True. Uh, next, we have uh, the the Bushes. Yeah, this is interesting. They've had a weird uh, history with the Bushes, and they were kind of used as um, uh, political fodder at a certain point. Like, so, you know, so the Simpsons are uh, a runaway train by the tw- by the time uh, Bush Senior. Um, was uh, finishing up his his term, and uh, he used the Simpsons in one of his speeches. I think actually first it was his wife that I think we're going to hear about. It was uh, Barbara Bush originally. It oh, seemed Bush. that everything was fine. We had sent our own slightly humorous letter. She had sent an almost gracious reply, and the matter was over. Uh, 
And then George Bush addressed the Convention of Religious Broadcasters in the United States and said this. Well, let me tell you something. We are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. So we responded at the very top of our very next episode because they had been prompt with their letter to us and we wanted to be prompt. We are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. Huh? Hey, we're just like the Waltons. We're praying for an end to the Depression, too. So it's it's kind of funny to look back after like, you know, I'll keep referencing uh, South Park and Family Guy, which is also everything we have on, you know, the Internet now and all that type of shit. It's funny to look back that the Simpsons were viewed as like this taboo thing, because now it seems so family friendly to me. Barbara Bush is like, if I ever get my hands on Marge, it's going down. <laughs> that, that's literally, that, it, literally, that's what it was, is they were saying, like, this is improper for families to be watching, which it's now, at least in hindsight, it seems like the most family show. It seems like the best. Well, show I, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but Homer likes to uh, strangle his son very violently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know if that's family friendly, but why you little? Did, did the Simpsons take pot shots at the Bushes up till that point? Or is this just random? Um, I, do, I mean, it wasn't random in the sense that like the Simpsons were a, a massive show. So it makes sense to use them as an example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think they were particularly harsh on the Bushes one way or the other. But. Wasn't George Bush on the show after that? Uh, I believe so. They've had a weird history where, like I said, they, um, you know, they had this exchange where James L. Brooks wrote them a letter as Never mind. Marge Simpson. Which I would have included, yeah. but it, it was a little exhausting, frankly. The voice. Um, mm. And and then that's when they kind of thought they patched things up. And then I guess Brooks ran into um, uh, the first lady at some event and she completely snubbed him. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? It was a weird thing where they didn't really know how to handle uh, those guys, I guess. Barbara Bush might be a, a complete idiot, though, because... They sent a letter as Marge Simpson, and she replied, and the P.S. was, I think ha uh, Homer's a handsome fella. <laughs> oh, I think she was being cute. I don't know. Yeah, I, think I don't know. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I think Craig thinks she's like, hey, introduce me to Homer. <laughs> I got to get his, uh, his suntan lotion. I love the color. All right. Uh, next, we have uh, writer turnover. Uh, yeah, well, this is like, a thing that happens to shows. I just found it interesting because now they're at season 35 or whatever they're at. But this is in the very early days. And like Carl said, um, a lot of people think the show didn't really hit his stride until season three or four. Um, so this was an interesting thing they had to deal with. It was a small group uh, and nobody really knew how difficult it was to do say 24 episodes of an animated show what happened was, is you didn't realize that as you were doing new ones, the old ones were coming back and requiring an enormous amount of work. So we cut back to 22 um, and uh, got more people in the staff. The other thing that happened in the first four seasons was everyone associated with the show got an offer to go somewhere else to develop their own show. And people left for different places. And Jim asked us to work on the critic. So there was like a total changeover of the staff 
from basically season four to season five when David Merkin ran it, he was going to uh, rely on Conan to be like his number one guy, but then Conan got his own show. And, um, you know, what happened subsequently was then the TV business dried up <laughs> in comedy. And so people didn't leave. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Mike Scully uh, broke the rewrite room into two. He had enough writers at that point. So now we always have two groups uh, going at the same time. Uh, usually I'm doing one and Matt Salmon's doing the other, uh, rewriting the scripts. And yeah, so when you fa- I feel like when you factor that in, like they take a lot of shit for going as long as they have when everyone pretty much considers it dead. Um, but it is obviously impressive that they were able to kind of withstand all that turnover in addition to what Carl said earlier, where it's like, you just run out of ideas at a certain point. Like, how do you keep that going for as long as they did? Yeah, and then uh, it definitely attracted very creative writers, though, because you could do anything. Any yes. idea you had, like they, they had whole musical episodes where they're comp- and they have a, a full orchestra recording this music and everything like that. So it's like the sky's the limit for them. Yeah. yeah. And well, that's the interesting line. They tried to walk and I know Matt Groening was very against. It. I think we're about to get into uh, some of the specific episodes in a minute. But um, uh, for example, like there's uh, uh, some gag in like season six, I want to say where uh, Homer falls off of something and just the fall is continuously getting more and more ridiculous to a point where like a human being would obviously be dead. And so Matt Groening was like, we can't do this. It's too silly and ridiculous. But then they were able to like make it funny enough that they kind of compromised and left it in. But it's like over time when you're doing it for 30 years, eventually you got to keep being more ridiculous than you were the last time or it's not as funny, but then there's a fine line where it's like, well, the more ridiculous, it's a, it's a tough balance that when you go for 30 years, it's almost impossible to withstand. Yeah. And South Park did the, uh, the Simpsons did it episode. Now imagine being the Simpsons and you can't copy yourself at all because <laughs> <laughs> you are the foundation. Uh, the next, right, uh, we have contract disputes. Uh, well, th- this, I remember hearing a lot about and, it's interesting because like, um, well, let's hear them talk about it first and then I'll say what I have to say. It's, it's great to take on there a big is. gorilla. It's great. <laughs> and it's taught me a lot. And, and it's taught me, uh, that's right. Although they've, you know, we had that negotiation in season nine where they um, threatened to, to replace us and then they held auditions. Oh, they did actually hold oh, auditions. Yes. Oh, yes. And what happened with, what was the, what was the focus group feedback? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, they didn't record any shows. Mm-hmm. I do think um, it might have Jim, been Jim Brooks and Matt Groening who said, you're kidding, right? You don't actually think that just because nobody sees these people, they don't care who, do, like, they won't notice or mm-hmm. they're not attached to, and not just the sound of, you know, this is Lisa Simpson. You don't just attach, you attach to the soul, right? To the whole picture, mm-hmm. to the way, and in our in animation, it's really, everybody is 33 and a third percent. It's, it's very, um, very evenly sliced up in that way, which I think is quite unusual. So Carl praying for carnage there. <laughs> <laughs> well, while I think, uh, you know, relating to the soul might be a little uh, overdramatic, I do think there's something to be said because, um, 
uh, Big Mouth, if you remember a few seasons ago, yep. took Jenny Slate out of uh, the character Missy, who's a half Jewish, half black character, uh, but presents yeah. black, I guess, in the show. So they took Jenny Slate out of the role and replaced it. Jenny Slate was doing like a pretty funny voice for that character. Mm-hmm. And now if you go and watch that show, it doesn't make any sense to have that character because it's just someone speaking the way she actually speaks in real life. Well, the same thing happened with The Simpsons with Dr. Hibbard. Um, who's the the black doctor and uh, they had a cast because of this craziness where it's like, you can't Jenny Slate took herself off a of big mouth for that. Right. She's an idiot. Yes. But yep. because of this thing where it's like, you can't have a non-black person playing a black person or non-gay playing gay, whatever. So now they have like this voice actor doing Dr. Hibbert. It doesn't sound like him at all. And the character's not funny anymore. So it's like, Oh, right. Good job. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, we'll talk, we'll talk about a poo at the end, but so that, that's the yeah. real uh, debacle, but um, it is, it is a thing like, if you changed Homer's voice, it would, the show, it would be a different show. Like the idea that well, no one would notice that is silly. <laughs> what's going to happen with Rick and Morty? I was just well, going to say that. To, to see because Justin Roiland, I mean, yeah. so much of the comedy there is the way that he does those voices. I haven't Unless watched. Unless they find a perfect impersonator. I don't think they'll be able to do it. I think they, like people, they've, they've showed some of the people they had on Instagram or something and it sounds exactly like them, but like the, yeah. the, the essence of Rick and just the timing and shit of like the noises he makes is probably going to be off. And yeah, I don't know. It's going to be weird. Yeah, Definitely d- tough to duplicate, but also I will say in the, on the network's uh, defense, it's like voiceover work, I think is pretty easy. So like the idea that you should be paid the same as, um, you know, who Jerry Seinfeld at that time, you know what I mean? Like someone like the oh, yeah. amount of time it takes to be an actor on a show versus just doing the voices. There is something to that, that like, it's not a one-to-one comparison. Right. 100%. Although I, this is something, I don't know if you guys realize this, it's just something, you know, I, I picked up from reading this book is when they go through and they act out these um, scripts, they have every line said four to five different ways. And then they go through and pick, which is the funniest way that we're interact with the other characters. And they're not doing it live. Obviously they're just reading their right. lines. So I, I would say, I mean, the, the amount you, you mentioned, it takes nine months to produce one episode. There's yeah. so much time that goes into it. I can't imagine going through, you have to read every line with five different inflections or emphasis. And then someone has to go through there and listen to every single one and go, okay, this is the right one. Use that. Yeah. And well, and then you have guys like Hank Azaria, who's talking to himself in a lot of scenes. <laughs> right. voices. Right. Yes. All right. Um, what's next? Uh, a star is burns. Yeah. So now we're talking about a couple of the episodes. So a star is burns is um, the one that is directly related to the critic, which we mentioned earlier. So uh, James L. Brooks and a couple of the other writers kind of started focusing around season six. I think it was um, started focusing more on the critic, which was a show, um, a cartoon voiced by uh, the main characters voiced by John Lovitz. Uh, that was about a film critic. And uh, by all accounts, Carl, you were—you said you were a fan of that show. Um, I wasn't a huge fan, but I watched it when it came out. I've—I've I've heard like good reviews, and like people say it's very uh, underrated. I've heard positive things about it, but it never really found its audience. Like it just never—it never connected. Um, so uh, let's play this clip about a star's burns, and I'll tell you a little more about it. As predicted, Graining wasn't happy with the proposed crossover, feeling that it was just a tacky 30-minute advert for the critic. Furthermore, despite Gene and Reese's legitimate effort... I should have given it more setup. I was wrong. Um, So they did a crossover episode where John Lovitz's character is in Springfield or something. And in the episode, it's a very loose... like 
it was hard to understand exactly how it tied in other than we're just doing cross promotion. And this was a big, this was a big dispute between uh, James L. Brooks and Matt Groening because Matt Groening's thought was, you just want to, this is not a commercial for your other show. We're doing something here. And so that's what they're talking about here. The critic. Furthermore, despite Gene and Reese's legitimate efforts to distance their show from The Simpsons, Groening was concerned that people wouldn't correctly associate the show with him as a direct spinoff of The Simpsons. Initially, Groening kept his concerns behind closed doors. However, he would eventually go public with these issues with a star as Burns, before having his name removed from the episode's credits, so he didn't receive the typical created by and developed by credits they air at the end of the opening sequence. Although Brooks appreciated Groening's issues with the crossover, Brooks was furious with how Groening conducted himself in relation to the controversy, specifically that Groening went public with his complaints. Yeah, so Groening basically uh, mocked them <laughs> and distanced himself as, uh, as much as he could from that episode, which is uh, definitely a riff. And this is where you start to chisel at the armor of The Simpsons, where they tried to do things, you know, kind of based in reality, at least the reality of that world. And that's what Matt Groening was very focused on protecting. And uh, this is the start of kind of chipping away at some of that. I don't I don't understand why like the people in those documentaries always have to talk with those inflections. It's so gross. Well, hey, go, go you criticize his YouTube. <laughs> what can I tell you? But uh, the next one's the big one. Uh, the principal and the pauper. Yep. Yeah. So this Carl's not as much of a nerd as I thought because he wasn't familiar with this theory that um, the principal and the pauper is the death nail in The Simpsons. This is where everything turned. Controversial I've episode. What's that? Sorry, I, I so I've run up on it since yeah. <laughs> since you brought that up to me because yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess I didn't realize that a lot of people think this is the jumping the shark moment and this is early in season nine. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, we'll play this and I'll get your thought. I'm curious as a big Simpsons fan if you agree with this, but let's hear a little okay. about it. Controversial episode, which is based off of Jorge Borges' short story, The Improbable Imposter Tom Castro, gives us the backstory of Armin Tamzarian, who served in the army befriended Sergeant Seymour Skinner and then assumed his identity after Skinner presumably died in the war. The now infamous episode was almost universally panned upon its release. Series creator Matt Groening called it one of his least favorite episodes on the season 9 DVD box set. And even Harry Shearer, the voice of Seymour Skinner and many, many others on the show, said this to the writers after having read the script. That's so wrong. You're taking something that an audience has built eight or nine years of investment in and just tossed it in the trash can for no good reason. It's so arbitrary and gratuitous, and it's disrespectful to the audience. In an interview years later, Shearer added this in reference to the episode. It's like punishing the audience for paying attention. Hmm. So, Carl, does that seem drastic to you, or do you kind of get it? No, I kind of get it. It was really stupid because Skinner's character is this mama's boy. Yeah. And so it didn't make any sense. Like that was the wrong character to do this with because now we have to explain why the mom just went along with it, even though she obviously knew that wasn't her son, but she acts like he is like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. It was just a really stupid plot point. Right. And if, if uh, you guys are interested in the subject, I, rem- I there's like a little uh, like mini documentaries on YouTube that I got sucked into. So if you guys search, um, I think it's uh, the fall of the Simpsons and the day the Simpsons died are the two that I watched. Uh, they really, they really get in depth, but it does make sense because family guy had a, a, a similar thing 
where, uh, and even, you know what, Seinfeld, I, I know more about Seinfeld, so that's probably a better example. In the early days of Seinfeld, like, you know, the culmination of the finale is like, oh, these are bad people that are finally getting the, what they deserve by going to jail. But like yeah. in the early days of Seinfeld, the plot was not that they were bad people. It was actually that they were like good people. They were trying not to uh, do the things that would make them considered bad people. And the more the show went on, things got more and more exaggerated. And uh, that's why it kind of turned to this, like, oh, they're, you know, they're evil people is what <laughs> essentially the, the uh, narrative became. And it makes sense that like, well, uh, the other example they used after uh, Seymour Skinner was basically Homer went from, you know, kind of a doofy dad, uh, like who wanted to do the right thing, but never could to like a functionally retarded man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You he know? does get stupider and stupider every season. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. And, and Conan even, you know, I heard Conan kind of take responsibility for that. Cause he said, literally, I think we wrote an episode um, where Homer's brain says, if you do this, I'm out of here. And then Homer does whatever they're doing. And then you hear a door slam and feet walking away. <laughs> and so they're like, even when Conan was there, you know, 25, 30 years ago, they were literally like, I think we've made this guy too dumb. <laughs> right. <Keep going. laughs> but uh, next yeah, so that's about, that's about season nine where they're like, okay, which that's a, for television, you know, 20 episodes a year, 20 plus episodes a year for nine season. That's a tremendous amount of television. And then they have yeah. gone on for more than 20 since then. I know. That's nuts. It's insane. Um, uh, but also, there was also a uh, th- element they had. I can't remember what season it was where if we find out that Homer shoved a crayon up his nose when he was a child. Yep. And uh, they remove it and he's smart. And then he, he yeah. decides he doesn't like being smart. Um, so then he puts the crayon back in. So, yeah, yeah I think they a few times they tried to explain why this character is as stupid as he is. Yeah, right. <laughs> Makes sense. But uh, next we have him talking about the movie. Uh, Yeah. So this was interesting. Um, Again, I want to hear from Carl what the fans think. This is them talking about the movie. By the time the movie came out, my opinion would be, well, just fucking go for it. You've gone for 15 years now. What's the difference? But uh, I think this is James L. Brooks again. What even inspired the desire to make a feature and now to make a short? We resisted a feature for a long time, for a long time. We, we, and, and then the resistance ended and we did it. And um, the, our own resistance to, to it, did, and we did it. But the short was just like people getting together to play jazz or something. It was, let's do it, let's do it in the simplest way possible. Uh, we, we, from, from the moment of saying let's do it to having the outline for what we do was shockingly fast we you know sort of notions of what we're going to try to do happen very quickly and it was as close to pure fun you know it's almost criminal to say that but but it was so it was so it was refreshing it was great for us i mean we all enjoyed it and and the only thing i can compare it to though i don't play anything is if five guys who play instrument got together in a row a uh, different way of saying that is they offered us a lot of money and I got rid of Matt Groening and Sam Simon. So no one, no one could hold me back. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> did, uh, did the movie live up to at least what the episodes were at that time? Yes. And I think everyone enjoyed the movie. It definitely brought people inter- interested in the Simpsons again, as it was, had been waiting for a while. Um, but it, it wasn't like, 
as good as their best episodes by any means. Sure, and it yeah. wasn't anything that was like bigger or better than a typical episode that was coming out at that time. So I think everyone enjoyed it because the Simpsons is enjoyable and they have funny writers and there's great characters. Everyone loves the characters, but I don't, I mean, it's no bigger, longer and uncut. You know, the South Park movie was like, whoa, yeah, they right. made an entire musical and, and there's a war with Canada. It's like, this, <laughs> this is a movie, you know, the Simpsons right. is kind of like, oh, the, we got ourselves into a predicament again. How are we going to get out of this one? You know? <laughs> Yeah, so the movie came out in uh, 2005 or 2006, I think. So by that time, they're in season 16 or whatever. So my thought on that is like, how much are you really going to damage the, you know what I mean? It's just like a four episode season, basically, is what you're making. So who cares? Just fucking go for it at that point. You know, whatever damage was going to be done has already been done. (laughs) And actually, I think I correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't research this. I think it did pretty well at the box office. I, I think uh, they were happy with the results. Yeah, and yeah, I, it certainly I didn't bomb. Sense, I don't think. Yeah, and I got the sense at the time that they were going to make more of those. I mean, they've referenced it on the show since then. Uh, you know, that was the uh, Spider Pig came out of that. I believe. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. It's weird. So this, I'm surprised they this, haven't made more movies. It's weird that they're still. Uh, it's funny because I think the reverse. <laughs> I'm surprised they're still on in the sense that, um, like. Again, going back to that uh, Conan thing, some of the writers on there were talking and basically saying, like, I'm not sure if The Simpsons makes Fox money anymore because it's so expensive to produce and the cast commands, you know, so much money now. So, like, I don't know that The Simpsons is making money even now or how much money it's making. So it's weird to me that it's still on at this point. I don't know what the benefit is. Really. The, the Simpsons movie did 536.4 million in the box office. Well, not too shabby. <laughs> wow. That's, that's insane. That's insane for sure. That would be, you would have to be an Avengers movie to make that now. Right. No one's doing that. Seriously. Right. Uh, All right. What's next? Next, we have a sad excuse for a comedian lashing out at a poo. Oh, we're already at the pro. Okay, good. I'm getting Carl out of here on time. All right. Thank God. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, uh, the problem with a poo is our, I think, uh, last subject here. We have a few clips. Um, and it goes back to something we were talking about a little earlier where, uh, obviously a poo, if you're not familiar character in the Simpsons that runs a uh, local convenience store and voiced by Hank Azaria has a typical or a stereotypical, uh, Indian voice. And uh, the reason for that is, A, because Hank Azaria was already in the building, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's kind of funny, and it's playing on stereotypes, which every Simpsons character pretty much does. Uh, but Hari Kanabalu uh, found that to be different. So this is a little bit of him on The Daily Show talking about the documentary he made, The Problem with a Pooh. Welcome to the show. Let's talk about this documentary, which has thrust you into a firestorm, it feels like. Uh, I can't can't check my Twitter mentions. Right, right, because you have made this documentary, which is really interesting and hilarious, about Apu from The Simpsons. Some people say you've made this movie to say that Apu is only racist and it is bad and you are angry. Are you angry? I'm 35 years old. This this cartoon's been around for a while. I got other things to worry about. I mean, to be honest, do you want to really know what I think of uh, Apu? Yeah. The network's not going to like this, but I don't really give a <laughs> Wait, so, so wait, oh, you you give a why, did, why did you make the story about Apu? Well, a couple of reasons. One, because... Wokeism makes um, money. I feel like there's a <laughs> yeah. gap. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of stuff that happened that wasn't covered because, like, brown people weren't allowed to talk until, like, 15 years ago. Ugh. You know? Right. We're talking about the pre-Aziz and Mindy era. Right. Right? <laughs> like that pre-Aziz and Mindy era. Yeah, P- <laughs> P.A.M. And, um, 
But yeah, so we weren't allowed to smoke. So there's this huge gap in who we were and what we what that experience is like and what it feels like when your only image is a cartoon character voiced by a white guy. So it's a white guy in brown paint, and this country has a history of that. So Ugh. It's Terrible. even the Daily Show audience was like, oh Jesus. <laughs> they were giggling but, at spots they shouldn't have either. It's weird because first of all, I just don't like Hari Kanabalu's energy where he's like, hey, I don't really give a shit. It's like, well, you, why'd you make a documentary about it? Like you literally know, just right. to cash in on the woke bullshit. That's all. It was. And, it's, and by the way, I was just talking about this because we did a show uh, with Dan Harmon used to do Whiting Wongs yes. with this woman, yeah, Jessica yeah. Gao, who's a writer in Hollywood. And uh, she's a Chinese woman who was talking about how problematic Apu is. And she had a real problem with them ever having Apu on the show and continuing to have Apu on the show. And, and you know, what, like you said, um, th- everything on the Simpsons is a, a stereotype, right? You know, they, they got the drunk Scottish guy. They got the Italian guy who makes pizza. And, right. But and not even, not even the so, side, not even the side characters. Like Bart is a stereotypical young yeah. boy. <laughs> Melissa is a stereotypical nerd. Har- Homer is a stereotypical, like doofy right. white dad. Like, but the family this, this itself doc- is all stereotypes. But this doc isn't about how the Simpsons hurt him. It's how kids bullied him. And so it's like, well, kids are dicks. Yeah, we get that. It's not Hank Azaria's fault. And by the way, very funny note is that uh, Mike Reese writes in this book that when they wrote in the first time, the character who's, he was, wasn't was Apu at first. It was just the convenience store clerk. He wrote in parentheses next to the line, not Indian. And he goes, and Hank Azaria does not read directions well. <laughs> Oops. Because he actually didn't want to have, because that was kind of the stereotype at that time that yeah. every 7-Eleven person, you know. So uh, so he wrote, he tried to get him to not do that. And then everyone laughed when he did the Apu voice. And they're like, okay, well, it's Apu now. Well, what's interesting, though, is like, yes, it's, a, I guess, a stereotypical voice. But if it did not sound like any Indian person who's ever existed, we would all go, what's that that he's, I don't understand. What's he doing? You know right. what I mean? Like we all got what he was doing. So it's not like no one speaks like that. So and it's also I, been pointed out many times, but Apu is one of the more endearing characters on the show. Right. right yeah. Likeable. Everyone likes him. He's always in a good mood. He's always upbeat. Hardworking businessman. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Family guy, you know, big family, all that kind of stuff. So this whole thing, and, and he goes back to India, you know, they, they do things with the culture and his religion. And it's like, this is not the guy that if you're going to try to get the woke crowd against, I don't think that's the right target, but it got to the point where Hank's like, look, I don't want the heat. So I'm just going to stop doing it. Yeah. So, uh, is the next clip, uh, Akash or Hank? Hank. Oh, okay. So we'll hear Hank Azaria kind of talk. And this was, you know, yeah, there's a lot of words here, but yeah, I think like Carl said, uh, the gist of it is like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I did all those characters with love and to the best of my ability. And as you said, they were created in a time where we didn't think twice about providing voices uh, like that or caricaturing or parodying uh, different ethnicities. And um, that's part of that turned out to be part of the problem is is we didn't consider it. We didn't consider the the ramifications it might have. And in some ways, those consequences weren't clear for 10, 20, 30 years later. Um, and with, you know, people who grew up, Indian people who grew up with the character of Apu in this country and could honestly report about what that was like for them. And, you know, it wasn't a quick decision for me. It wasn't like I heard the documentary or saw it or heard it was coming out and then went, oh, that's it, I'm not doing this character anymore. I, it, it sent me on a journey of discovery 
which I encourage every person in this country to take, certainly every white person in this country to go go on. And then there's a lot of talk about it now. And there's a lot of backlash about, oh, it's it's not okay to be white. And it's not about that. It's about acknowledging, uh, for, most, for most people, uh, it's just blind spots. It's just not considering what the consequences might be, the effect it might have had on uh, people of color. Uh, whether they're Indian or, or, or Latin or black or whatever part of this culture. This goes on and, forever. Um, and really considering uh, 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 the effect that it, it may have had. Yeah, so that was a really long way of Hank Azaria saying, like, am I still going to get jobs? Like, are people not going to hire me now? What's going on here? Well, this poor guy, that documentary comes out, and now he has no choice but to do that. Yeah. But, I, you know what, I will say, though, like, uh, there's a point to be made in like, yeah, now why not just get an Indian guy to do that voice? Like, that's fine if that's what we want to start doing. Now, my other argument would be like, well, we didn't 30 years ago. So just make a new cartoon where it is voiced by Indian people. But well, I the do reason understand- why they're not getting an Indian person to voice that is because it's offensive that it even is running the store. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's why they didn't just replace the the actor, which is ridiculous. Right. Uh, well, I, uh, my boy uh, Akash Singh kind of agrees with you. So he he put out um, like a twenty. He, he does a podcast with Andrew Schultz, and uh, he put out like a twenty-five minute uh, special, technically, a couple years ago. Um, and his his one of his big bits in that was kind of talking about how he grew up relating to Apu, and so he was talking a little bit of, uh, about it on uh, Rogan as well. I just thought I ha- I understand the context with which The Simpsons was created. It was a show that came out in the late 80s. I didn't know any Indian actors, much less voiceover actors, to do that voice. So he did it, and then he brought it to life. And I looked at The Simpsons, and I said, this is the most three-dimensional supporting character on that entire show. Everybody else is a static. Chief Wiggum is static. Moe is completely static. Barney's a drunk loser all the time. Apu is like three-dimensional, and he evolves more than every character on that show, including The Simpsons. He gets married, he loses a business, gains a business, has kids, becomes a father. So, like, I love that story. That's a beautiful story. He's the American dream on that show. Have they completely removed him from the show? He's gone from the show. (laughs) And I think it's fucked because, dude, Apu, if it was voiced by by a brown person, Apu is so many of our parents. And I don't mean that in, I mean that in the most respectful way. Like... I used to always hear um, back in the heyday, people would say the Simpsons represents every level of society. That's why the politician is a sleazebag and the billionaire is a corrupt fuck. And Apu, I really thought, whether they meant to or not, represented the American dream. He came to this country in search of a better life. He worked hard. He was mostly honorable. And he built a fucking life. And that is our parents. And we should all be so proud of our parents. And it sucks that a white guy was doing the voice, but at the time, I don't think they had an option. He's doing 12 voices. They just threw him one extra. Right. And they didn't have a budget. And then he made it something. So I would say some of the jokes were a little hacky. You can evolve those, but you don't get rid of the guy completely. Yeah, I, I actually think that at the end of it, that's the best way to say it is like, some of the jokes probably were hacky and offensive and lazy even. But like... Yeah, evolve those, but it doesn't mean you have to go on a crusade to get rid of the character because that does nothing really. Right, and I think Apu's actually been on the show since, but just in the background with no lines. Oh, good, good, yeah. good. Thank God. So they're like, let's just get rid of him completely. But <sighs> All right, well, The Simpsons uh, still soldiers on, I guess, so we have no real conclusion here, but is there uh, anything I missed, Carl? 
Oh, well, yeah, I no. mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of <laughs> you did everything. There's a lot I missed. <laughs> no, no, no. I, there's one thing that I did want to talk about. Yeah. Um, talking about specific episodes. Uh, my favorite and uh, my band, uh, the Isotopes, which is based on uh, the baseball team in the Simpsons. So um, my band just recorded an album. It's a concept album based on the Poochie episode of the Simpsons right. season eight. I think it's episode 14. Um, it's, it's, I think it's one of the most brilliant comedy shows ever made because basically what was happening at that time is that this is when people started going like, Oh, you know, season eight, you're like, how long is this going to go on for? It's getting stale. It's all the same kind of stuff. And so this whole episode, is like this meta episode where the writers fought back against those people by building it within the show. There's a cartoon itchy and scratchy and no one was watching that anymore. So they had to introduce a new character, but in the Simpsons, they also have a new character named Roy. So anyway, the the whole thing is brilliantly put together. So many funny lines in there. And I highly recommend anyone who's not into the Simpsons or can't remember that episode, go back and watch the Poochie episode of the Simpsons. I think, I I think you uh, might've mentioned it in there, but I think that it was birthed from them trying to like, like the network was demanding they create a new character or something. So right, they, right. Yeah. So they, so they were just essentially goofing on that, which is the, the type of shit I love. Like 30 rock would do that all the time. Like I love when networks would just mo- openly mock their bosses yep. <laughs> on, in primetime television. Um, but yeah, we could easily do a part two of the Simpsons. There's a lot. I know that I missed. Um, so if you guys want to send me stuff, if we ever do do a part two or a bonus episode, um, send me anything you think I should talk about on the next one. Um, and, uh, we will make sure to do it on the Patreon that you can find at blindmike.net, but also make sure you go to whoarethese.com, support my buddy, Carl, listen to who are these podcasts. Um, like you said, he was making fun of, uh, Dan Harmon this week, which was a crazy it's crazy that Dan Harmon, like I've watched, I've watched a little bit of Rick and Morty and I was a big community fan. It's crazy that like, he just did a podcast begging to erase those memories of him. Kind of. Just apologizing for being white. Like Hollywood yeah. really does just ruin people. It's, it's very sad, but um, yeah. Who are these podcasts? Also uh, the creep off. I do my buddy, Vinny Paulino Mondays at one o'clock on the creep off YouTube channel. Guys, I am sorry. I do have to run. All right. Thanks so much for having me on today. Carl, thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll see you later. Yep. Talk to you uh, soon. Also, make sure you go to blindlike.net. That's where you can find my show, all of my shows. Subscribe to the Patreon if you want those bonus episodes, WATS, that I do with Carl as well. Um, and uh, go to verygoodshow.org. That's where you can support Craig and everything he's doing. Listen to a very good show for free. And then if you like it, uh, go support the Patreon. Do that with our show and Carl's show as well. We appreciate all the support, guys. And uh, we will talk to you next time on Why Are You Laughing? 